Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for June 18th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we have an in-depth conversation with Arkansas Farm Bureau experts about efforts to establish a state meat inspection program in Arkansas. And we chat with cooperative extension entomologists about summer insect pests Arkansas farmers will be facing. First, Greg Patterson is joined by Jeff Pitchford and Jessica Burkham of Arkansas Farm Bureau's Public Affairs and Government Relations team, and Travis Justice, Arkansas Farm Bureau Chief Economist and Beef Cattle Expert, to discuss a move to establish a state meat inspection program. This is Greg Patterson, and on this edition of Farm Bureau's Arkansas AgCast, we've got three guests, and we're going to be talking about the possibility in Arkansas of a state meat inspection system. Uh, Our guests today are Travis Justice. He's the senior ag economist for Farm Bureau. Jeff Pittsford is the director of state affairs for Farm Bureau. And Jessica Berkham is the director of policy development for Farm Bureau. Welcome to each one of you. Hey, Greg. Travis, tell us what is a state meat inspection program. How does it how does it compare or differ to what we presently have? Well, we have uh, there is inspection programs for uh, uh, for meat. Uh, it's processed to be able to be sold directly at retail to a customer. Individual meat items. It has to be uh, officially inspected. Currently, the inspection services available in Arkansas are scheduled through the uh, uh, federal uh, inspection system. And uh, some states, uh, several states around the country, have a state operated and and coordinated state inspection program. Uh, They're roughly the same type standards have to be met for safety and wholesomeness and so forth that the federal requires the state programs uh, uh, you know, have to be equivalent to federal standards, uh, but it's just the system is coordinated on a state level, maybe a little less red tape, a little more easier for local people to coordinate with, uh, but it's essentially providing the same type of services that are currently available, but it'd be only coordinated on a state level. There's a few limitations that uh, state programs have that uh, is not as that uh, federal allows, but uh, for example, uh, under most state programs, uh, the product cannot be sold across state lines. It's only limited to in-state sales. But uh, but it's just a different uh, oversight, and uh, and uh, basically these programs have operated in other states, uh, either operate cheaper or easier to coordinate with local. Uh, interest groups than maybe the federal system would allow. So so, uh, so the state the state um, inspection service doesn't uh, supersede or replace a federal inspection one. They they kind of act hand in hand and the and the feds they're, allow they're the state. The same, they're accomplishing the same mission. Uh, right. In order to for me to qualify for retail sale, they have to be inspected. You know either federal insurance service or state service, so one way or the, uh, 
so it's, they're complementary. They don't necessarily compete. It's just whatever type of system works best for an individual processor, uh, you know, how the meat to be marketed, whatever. It just it provides that service that uh, currently is only available in Arkansas uh, by coordinating with, uh, with the federal system. So you have to comply with their guidelines and their requirements, schedule their inspectors. And so uh, uh, this is just an alternative method, which, you know, and as fully developed, may be easier to implement, uh, a little more encouraging for our local industries to cooperate with. Uh, that's the goal anyway. Uh, so uh, it's just a way to provide those additional services to, to maybe encourage a little more development uh, in the uh, local, given the current increase in interest in uh, securing uh, local local meats, the interest in local foods, and uh, then the, what we've seen during the, uh, the COVID crisis with some disruptions in our meat uh, uh, processing and distribution channels, it's created some, some uh, shortages or outages, if you will, and so it's it's heightened the interest in securing local meat supplies, uh, and we only have a limited amount of capacity in this state to even do that. Uh, and so uh, should more plants want to pursue the ability to, to sell product uh, uh, to consumers directly or producers do that, they have to do that with the meat going through an inspected facility. So, so uh, uh could be chicken or egg. You got to have facilities to inspect, but if, once they're available for inspection, then having additional inspection services available through a state program could facilitate uh, this interest in in the local in securing local meats. Jessica, um, we all know that Farm Bureau does nothing unless the policy dictates that we should pursue it. Does Farm Farm Bureau obviously has some sort of policy in re, in regards to a state meat inspection program? What is that policy for our listeners to refresh them? Sure. Yes, Greg, we do have um, policy on the books. It's under our uh, livestock and poultry commission section of our state policy, and it specifically states, "quote We support establishing a state meat and poultry inspection program for the retail sale of meat." unquote. So um, we have it in stone here at Farm Bureau. Outstanding. So that means we can move forward. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. That is, uh, you know, it was a, a priority for our members prior to COVID, and it is something that we presented to uh, the, the board of directors as an, as an option, as a legislative priority going into 2021. And COVID certainly escalated everything, um, but this was a priority prior to uh, the COVID pandemic. Right. Okay. Jeff, uh, what would be some of the additional potential benefits from having a state inspection program? <clears throat> well, everybody can answer that one, I'm sure. I know that in just having some conversations um, with uh, legislators, but also, you know, having some, uh, to start the process of having conversations uh, with others that would be have have benefits. We've we've heard from folks from uh, who we've talked to folks and started conversations 
with folks in the hospitality industry, the uh, Restaurant Association for here in Arkansas, uh, the Wholesale Retailers and Grocers Association. Um, they they want to take a look at this. Uh, we've also had some um, conversations with folks as, uh, e- even in, in the uh, deer hunting uh, field, uh, the uh, deer hunters that feed the hungry program, they, they're very much interested. And obviously, they deal a lot with processors across the state and have a, uh, in, uh, a good relationship with a lot of those. And so that's given us some in, inroads there. Um, so you're, you're looking at a lot of different folks uh, that would have an interest in it besides the the consumer. Uh, Jess, you probably could, you know, relate to that as far as, you know, dealing with uh, who would be, who would benefit. Yeah, absolutely. There, you know, the trend of local locally produced food is continues to climb up. And we see that in, you know, northwest Arkansas, here in central Arkansas, um, all over uh, local restaurants wanting to be able to supply a local product on their menus for consumers. And as Travis noted, state inspection would only allow um, these, these meat products to be sold within the state. So it is, you know, local producers expanding their business portfolio to provide a local product to local restaurants, local consumers. Um, right. And that's really the premise behind this. Travis, uh, you also, of course, are, are doing a lot of work in regards with the uh, your role on the Arkansas Beef Council. Has, has the council itself sponsored any initiatives that have looked at potential interest, um, either both from a producer or processor, standpoint for a state inspection program? Uh, only on a preliminary concerning meat inspection. Uh, the council did, uh, you know, we can claim extreme foresight in our vision, but uh, over a year ago, the council funded a study uh, survey to uh, profile the meat processing capacity uh, local meat processing capacity in this state, uh, and so we had a good so good feedback from that study uh, on the uh, situation concerning uh, local meat processors, their interest in potentially improving, their interest in upgrading to become an inspected facility, uh, and so to kind of gauge. Uh, then we were only reacting. To the growing interest in locally produced food. This was pre-pandemic interest that right. has been created recently. So, so uh, and of course that <laughs> that study came out right here in the middle of the pandemic. Could the timing of release of that study could have been better? But uh, it showed that there is varying degrees of interest currently amongst processing facilities here. Uh, you know, each facility, each owner. Uh, is different, and uh, they face different uh, situations to be able to retrofit their plants for inspection services. But uh, the, we, uh, uh, you know, we only have about 25, I guess, facilities that are currently slaughtering cattle. Right. Three of those are operating as an inspected plant. 
the rest of them are only custom slaughter facilities. And so, uh, uh, you know, we're processing somewhat over 3,000 head of cattle in the state now. Uh, and uh, so we, we've got a good feel. Uh, we're doing some more planning to do or to some more uh, feedback with that group to survey, survey them a little more directly on, uh, on uh, their real intention should the opportunity arise to upgrade and expand their processing capacity. Jessica, uh, we know the interest is there, but uh, you, you know, we've got to see if the plant people who own processing plants are willing to invest to upgrade and and to get in a position to provide those services. Right, right. Jessica, um, as was mentioned earlier, you know the COVID pandemic has, has acted as a disruptor in the supply chains and, and stuff like that. Um, Explain for folks, uh, Arkansas is traditionally a cow-calf operation and how that those animals go to uh, a sale barn versus what this state meat inspection program would be, would be doing more with people who are selling within the state. Sure. Um, so you're right. Arkansas is traditionally a cow-calf state, meaning that calves are heading to uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas to be fed out and enter the food supply chain through one of the four uh, major packers in, in the country. So, again, a state meat inspection program would theoretically allow producers to diversify their operation rather than just taking a potload of calves to Joplin or Oklahoma City or a local barn, they could theoretically, you know, adjust their their uh, animal husbandry practices and feed, feed some of those cattle here and then have a direct supply chain that works through a local processor that is inspected to provide uh, a local local meat to to consumers directly. Um, Arkansas does not have packing capacity. There are no large packers here. Um, and as Travis said, there's only three uh, federally inspected plants in this state. And a lot of producers are forced to book at these three facilities months, years in advance in order to ensure that they can provide their existing customers with product. Um, so the opportunity here is, is really exciting. Um, certainly there are huge capital upgrades that need to be made at some of these custom facilities to meet the, the HACCP qualifications and other food safety inspection service requirements. Um, and Jeff can speak about, you know, what we're working on to help help those facilities meet those requirements. Yeah, Greg, you know, we, we understand that there that would be some, some costs for, for those and then that might be a barrier um, I know there's some opportunities. We obviously are in contact with some legislators, and um, it's really gotten some momentum with, um, uh, I think, the Arkansas Cattlemen's Association was testifying in front of an ag committee not too long ago and mentioned this, and that seemed to, a lot of light bulbs went on, and, and I think that really helped start the momentum with legislators, and we and we certainly have heard from them and have worked with, with some who are working on a draft of 
uh, of, of this type of build and, and having some meetings and, and those discussions. Um, and so uh, certainly, you know, some, some momentum there. We're also looking now, as Jess said, the, the, the capital costs that might be there. And I know the state received some federal dollars from the COVID-19 uh, relief uh, fund. And, and so we're looking at the possibility of establishing a grant program that would help uh, producers, uh, I mean, uh, processors to be able to apply for some grant money to update, buy the necessary equipment, free, extra freezers, uh, et cetera, to, to, uh, to maybe make that leap and, and be better positioned to, to go up to that. Um, we're still working on that. That's still in the, the infant stage, but we certainly are having those discussions. Whatever we can do to maybe provide some incentive and some uh, some cost relief to uh, those processors to help uh, help to make that to make that leap, uh, and also you know to work with them. Uh, that's our goal over the next uh, few weeks is to work with those guys, reach out to them, and and make sure we're on the same page with them. You know what what are some of the things that they would see that would be a stumbling block to uh, maybe have a state program, and as Travis alluded to, maybe some less less red tape if we are having and making our own program maybe there's some opportunities to where it's not so burdensome and overregulated like it would be with a federal program if we could eliminate some paperwork uh, eliminate some of the time they would spend off their shop floor um, then maybe we can do that and so we need to work together with those folks and uh, make sure we're on the on the same page Travis um give you an example um i've talked to you know a couple of the guys who are at some of these uh i guess they're at the three the smaller um uh, slaughterhouses that are doing doing work here in the state and they are booked out into march of next year in in you know taking care of animals that are coming in um from producers who are doing some of this freezer meat type stuff right now. Um, do you feel from from uh, what you've been listening to that you've got producers and folks that are uh, doing the um, the meat processing that there is a real interest in in you know making this program work? Well, you know they. We've seen for years now growing interest in this. We've seen more and more uh, actual farmers uh, finishing animals on the farm, developing a and largely sold through a custom, you know, uh, selling their animals, uh, you know, freezer beef just cut on a custom basis rather than through a retail facility where they could sell individual cuts, you know, they selling first and a quarter or a half, whatever. Correct. Uh, so we've got um, folks, so there's there's interest, and that's been growing over time. Uh, again, here in, in the last three or four months, it, the interest has certainly swelled because of the current kind of shortages and emphasis has been placed on it. Uh, the real, uh, uh, the real Key though is uh, yeah the current inspection facilities are backed up six to nine months whatever 
uh, you got to make reservations to get your cattle processed. Uh, you know that that much lead time. So that would indicate there's demand for that. Now the real key is there's see there's about 25 other facilities that are processing cattle, but they're not geared up to to do the retail inspection. Right. So. Uh, the key is convincing them or providing the incentive to encourage them to upgrade their plants to provide, uh, uh, you know, retail sale meats. And uh, so the, that's the that's the key there is getting buy-in from the other processors. They are the ones that they're killing. They're processing cattle now on a custom basis, converting them to for inspection so they can uh, accommodate some of this increased demand for retail sale product. Uh, uh, that's going to be the key. And uh, uh, it's kind of chicken and egg. You know, they've got to do that before we would have anything for state inspectors to inspect, you know. You know right, we, right. We can, we can hire some inspectors, but there's nothing for them to inspect right now until there's more plants online demanding that service. So those these two have to operate, you know, simultaneously. You know, we're trying to develop uh, increased uh, processing capacity uh, and then develop a, a, a compatible inspection program to come along with it to help facilitate those sales, uh, local sales of products. So it, it's a, it's a uh, uh, you know, you can have one before the other, but we want, we trying to serve a need here to try to develop both of these concepts at the same time, you know. So 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 Jessica, why would a a processor prefer state inspection versus federal inspection? And is there enough momentum? What are what are the carrots you've got to put in front of some of those processors Travis was just talking about who who aren't inspected right now? What are the carrots you gotta put in front of them to make them make them want to do this? Sure. Um, I think it's fair to note that there are 27 states right now that have a state meat inspection program. Right. Um, so they're, you know, more than half the nation. Um, in terms of, you know, the carrots to get these guys interested, as Jeff said, you know, we, we've got to be able to assist with the capital cost. It is expensive, no doubt. And, and labor. Labor is the number one issue, and that's the number one issue throughout agriculture. So, you know, being able to help folks source uh, reliable labor that understands the complexities and the arts of, you know, fabricating. Yeah, of, yeah, of meat cutting and being able yes. to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is an art, um, and it's not very glamorous. So, you know, that's certainly, you know, front of mind for us as well. Um, and then making sure that um, there, there, there continues to be pro producers, you know, that want to do this, that, you know, see the cost-benefit analysis um, and providing everybody across the board with resources. And we're, you know, working on some type of landing page for our website right now where folks can say, oh, that's what a HACCP protocol is or, this is how much freezer space I'm going to need. You know, some of those very basic questions, I think, also uh, Farm Bureau is well positioned to help facilitate uh, for folks. 
I, I well, definitely hear it, uh, Greg, and uh, you know, in the uh, the study that the council funded uh, and just uh, mentioned it, the the primary concerns uh, just in general operations, but particularly upgrading operations, the, the number one issue with these processes is labor. Train them, trained or trainable labor. Because it is a specialized occupation, meat cutting, processing house workers, uh, and so labor, environmental uh, issues they have to deal with, uh, and, and then just facility upgrade. Uh, those are the challenges they face. Uh, uh, and then if they meet all those, well, we can figure out how to get the product inspected, you know. But uh, there are big hurdles up front, uh, even continuing. Those that are operating today will tell you labor is our number one challenge, uh, given the specialized nature of the uh, of that industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, Greg you, Greg, you mentioned carrots. You know, some of the positive things that I think is the, the different markets. You know, just in, in our conversations here and with, with others, you've got, uh, you've got the restaurant industry. You know, they – they really like to put the local raised whatever, Arkansas raised whatever, Arkansas raised catfish. The catfish industry has got legislation where you have to put on a menu in restaurants, you know, where that catfish came from. Right. Um, the consumers are doing that. I, it's it's a niche market. It's not going to move the needle uh, on down the road, and we, we know that. But at the same time, more and more consumers – you know, Greg, when I talk to legislators and even in conversations with staff in the governor's office, the theme has emerged <clears throat> over the last few months, not only by COVID, but for other reasons. They have said they've all gotten contact and, and calls from constituents with concern about, you know, the purchasing of protein, not having the choices, the availability in some in some cases, and, and they've reached out. So, you know, certainly um, they, they have said that the policymakers are hearing from uh, from constituents about this issue. So when you throw that in with, with folks, retailers wanting to sell something locally, uh, uh, I had another legislator who told me uh, the other day, hey, this idea, um, he said, this is green. Uh, you know, this is, this is product that may not have to be shipped that far, uh, that may be done locally. And that's right. another aspect. And we were like, well, we haven't really been focused on that part. We were just trying to start the process here of making this policy and seeing what all needs to be done. But that is another product, uh, byproduct of this uh, a type of initiative. So, so, so Jeff, as, as we uh, wrap this up, um, are there other organizations or coalitions that are interested in jumping on this this bandwagon for a state meat inspection program, I think you mentioned earlier there were some some contacts you had made, but but who else is involved in in helping push this? Well, we definitely are hearing from members of the General Assembly. Um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that there's already kind of a, a semi draft kind of uh, being worked on right now. I think they're adding some touches to it. And, and we've had several legislators uh, that not only have we've talked to but have reached out. I know the Cattlemen's Association reached out to them as well, saying, you know, not to put the cart before the horse, but to say, hey, we want to help sponsor that bill, you know, and we, we want to help. And that's great. 
that that's what you want. So I think the momentum's there that even if uh, there's no special session until the, the 2021 regular session, that there'll be some sort of legislation uh, that'll be filed to, to do this. We just want to make sure that we, we do it right and that we reach out to the processors, uh, reach out to producers, reach out to all those that would be involved, the restaurant industry, the hospitality association, the wholesale grocers, which we have initially. Once we get a draft, I'm sure we'll share that with them and, and try to have some input, and also in the rulemaking uh, through the Department of Agriculture and, and making sure that, that everybody has a say-so and, and uh, feels feels good about uh, having inputs on, on this because we don't want to create something that's overly burdensome, that's too costly, or just something that's out of reach. But I, I think that once, as Travis mentioned, it is kind of a chicken and egg, but once we kind of get going, I think there's going to be a lot of people from the consumers, folks who want to buy local, uh, that's that's a growing niche, uh, restaurants, all these folks that that are involved in this uh, on the end-user end side are, are, are going to see some options that they don't have now, and uh, and that's that's going to help. And if that opens up some markets for, for some of the cattle guys, the the producers out there, um, you know, maybe they can have a niche. Maybe they can sell to their local school. Maybe they can sell to a local restaurant from time to time. Uh, gives them more options to take their their cattle to a, to a processor that they didn't have before. I, I think over time, this is I don't think a short term. I think this is a long term kind of a proposition. But I think over time, you'll see uh, a lot more options for the consumer, whether they are sitting down in a restaurant or going to a store to buy something, or they're a school kid at an elementary school on Taco Tuesday. You know, they, they might be able to meet the farmer who sold the, the school that beef and, and um, you know, opens up some different markets and, and different opportunities that are just not there right now. Well, Jeff, that's a good summation of everything. Uh, Travis, Jessica, Jeff, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. And I'm sure we'll revisit the issue of uh, a state meat inspection uh, coming to fruition here in Arkansas. Again, thank you all very much. Next, Keith Sutton is joined by U of A Cooperative Extension Service entomologists Dr. Benjamin Thrash and Dr. Nick Bateman, who share the latest information on summer insect pests Arkansas farmers will be dealing with all summer long. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today, uh, I'm visiting with two of our state entomologists, Dr. Ben Thrash and Dr. Nick Bateman. Uh, welcome, guys. Hey, glad to be here. Good morning. We're glad to have you. Both of you work for the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service, and your specialty is insects. And here we are in that time of year where uh, there's a, a lot of things we can discuss about insects, and uh, we want to share some of that information with our farmers. Uh, so they're kind of up to speed on what they need to know about bugs this time of year. So uh, how about, uh, Ben, how about you start us off and tell us about some of the things going on we need to know about. All right, I will try to try to give everybody a little update. Uh, so last week, you know, we had a, we had a pretty good 
uptick in the number of uh, bollworm moths that we were finding. Uh, but this isn't the moth flight you need to be concerned with. Uh, most of these worms are going to corn, and, uh, you know, we don't consider them a pest of corn. We don't recommend treating uh, treating for bollworms in corn. But it's the next flight is the one that, that's really going to need to be uh, paid attention to. Those are the moths that are going to be laying eggs in uh, cotton and soybeans. Uh, you know, some of these moths may go to a soybean field uh, or a stray cotton field here or there. We, we've seen a few fields that have had some bollworms in them, uh, a few cotton fields, and a few, a few soybean fields here and there. But uh, the vast majority of them are going to, going to corn right now. Now here, closer to July the 4th, that's going to be our big moth fly out of corn, and all those worms are going to go back into soybeans and cotton. So that's the one that you're really going to have to pay attention for. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Red banded stink bug. Everybody wants to know how uh, how the red banded stink bugs are going to do this year. You know, we had a relatively mild winter, and uh, that that was the same for the year before as well. Uh, two mild winters in a row isn't good for red banded stink bug. And down in South Arkansas, we've already got some growers that are picking up and some consultants that are picking up some red banded stink bugs in some uh, in some soybean fields. So that's that's not good. And uh, you know that that costs a lot of money to treat for those insects. It costs growers a lot of money. And uh, you know, these late planted soybeans are, are probably going to get hit pretty hard by them this year. So everybody just needs to keep them on their radar. How do uh, how do folks look for red banded stink bugs? Is that something uh, where they go into the field and use nets to sample? Uh, yes, that's the that's the primary technique of sampling for red banded stink bugs is using sweep net samples yeah and, and time of day can can affect that uh as well a lot of those a lot of those stink bug species move up and down the uh move up and down the plant relative to the time of day and so that's that's important during the heat of the day a lot of those stink bugs you know they'll move up and uh so that's just something to kind of keep in mind when you're looking for a red banded stink bug. And uh, what are some of the other pests we're looking at right now, Ben? Uh, so in cotton, uh, there's a lot of, you know, nine, 10 node cotton out there. And we're starting a lot of uh, plant bug adults move into these fields. And a question that we've been getting a lot is, uh, should I, should I, Use diamond this year. A lot of people are trying to cut some cut some budgets, you know, here and there on their insect control. And uh, diamond insecticide is is really a pretty important part of our full insecticide program that we use for plant bugs and cotton. So we really don't recommend uh, cutting that diamond application out. I think uh, growers will realize how much that'll that'll pay for itself, you know. And uh so a lot of people are starting to pick up those plant bugs in cotton and uh you know 
we get we generally recommend you know that third week of square and to get your diamond application out there but uh you know we might need to move that back just a little bit if uh if you're starting to pick up a lot of plant bug adults out there in your field so it may be time to to get out there and start taking care of some of those bugs even a little bit early yeah, there's some there's some folks that are already uh, making some insecticide applications on uh, plant bugs in their in their cotton fields for so they're they're starting a little early and it's kind of shaping up like it might be a pretty a pretty bad plant bug year. And another insect I've heard a lot about recently, Ben, is uh, the Bermuda grass stem maggot. What can you tell us about that one? So we're we've been doing some research. Uh, Kelly Lofton, he's the uh, he's a Medved extension entomologist, and uh, he's been doing a lot of work on this pest. But uh, people that have Bermuda grass hayfields need to need to pay attention for it. It's a little fly, and what it does is it'll it it kill the growing point out of some of your Bermuda grass. And I mean, we saw in some of our trials last year. Is that wherever we treated for uh, treated for Bermuda grass stem maggot with just a pyrethroid insecticide, our hay yields were doubled in those fields. So it's a it's a pretty economically important pest for people that have that are that are growing hay. And, and that's one I haven't heard a lot about, but I'm starting to hear about. Uh, it sounds like it would be very important to increase your yield by by treating those. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty important, and we've only just really been getting familiar with it over this past year. And some of our research has shown, you know, it's it's going to be a pretty important pest for hay growers. And Dr. Bateman, we don't want to leave you out of the conversation. I know uh, you specialize in rice pest. Uh, am I correct? Yep. I spend a lot of time there. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things going on right now is we're seeing a, a big increase in rice water weevils. Typically, we see them. You know, shortly after we go to flood, we probably got somewhere between forty and fifty percent of our acres at flood right now. And we didn't see just that mass surgency into those fields as soon as that water started. Um, it was actually a, a couple of weeks delayed, and that could probably be chalked up to the fluctuation, all the rainfall we had going into planting, and uh, also that little cold snap we had about a month ago. But right now, we're seeing a lot of adults. We we actually, at Pine Tree, we do a bulk of ours, so that's between Hunter and Colt uh, outside Brinkley there. We do a bulk of our uh, rice water weevil work. We went to flood on Tuesday. We put some post-flood sprays out yesterday, and the adults were already in the field at pretty heavy numbers. So rice water weevils, are they're, they're going to make a, a big impact this year. There's there's a lot of them out there. Uh, some things to keep in mind is what seed treatment package you had on there and how many days after planting you are going to flood. If you had cruiser nips it on there, and you're going to flood outside of that 35-day window, you're probably not going to get a lot of activity there for rice water weevils. Uh, if you had pretender dermacore on there, you know, we see control out to 60, 80 days plus on rice water weevils for those products, so they should still be fine. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of foliar sprays happening right now for rice water weevils. 
trying to target adults. And one thing to keep in mind is if you're going to make that application for rice water weevils, it, it needs to be within a couple of days of seeing those adults. You want to make that spray before that female lays eggs. Now, uh, water weevils are certainly a serious pest, but they're not the only one we've got. What What are some of the other uh, uh, insects we need to be aware of that, that we're dealing with in the rice farms? So from a flooded rice, well, I guess from a rice production standpoint in general, you know, rice stink bugs, we've had zero issues. So we started running some some assays looking at uh, Lambda efficacy, Lambda Sahalabrin, so like Warrior Two, Lambda Psi, Kendo, those products. Uh, looking at efficacy there on those on those uh, rice stink bugs. You know, that's our, our main product. We're going to spray for them for rice stink bugs and. We've had zero issues this year trying to collect rice stink bugs. There's a lot of them out there on all of our native grasses. If you have any barnyard grass heading right now, they're going to be loaded up with rice stink bugs. Uh, I know we're still probably three or four weeks out from some of the earliest rice starting to head, but it's something to keep in mind. We need to keep an eye out. I actually got a couple phone calls yesterday about just the sheer amount of stink bugs people are seeing on the edges of fields right now, which that's not uncommon. It's a native test, but it looks like we're going to be in for a pretty bad stink bug year. And from a row rice standpoint, you know, this this isn't really going to affect flooded rice except for on the levees, but rice billbug. You know, we, we started, we got a graduate student, Chase Floyd, working on his Ph.D. He's been running a big trap line looking at uh, rice billbug, trying to figure out, you know, how many row rice fields are, are getting infested and those kind of things. And what we started noticing this week is our trap catches went down, but the activity in the field increased. So as traps are on like the edge of the field on some Bermuda and, and other grasses like that, and those trap catches are starting to decrease. But we started seeing egg lays, starting to see a few dead tillers showing up in row rice. So it looks like bill bugs are starting to make a move out of out of those other hosts back into row rice right now. And and based on what we're seeing, it looks like a lot of this row rice is going to have to some level, bill bug damage, and some of it's probably going to be pretty severe. Are there any other uh, pests we ought to be aware of? That's a pretty good group. We're talking about pests that affect cotton and soybeans and rice. There's always something to deal with. Are, are there any other things you guys would like to add to the list? Uh, well, Stink bugs in corn is, is something to pay attention for. If you got any small corn out there, uh, brown stink bugs can, can be a pretty serious pest, and they're kind of difficult to scout for uh, in cornfields. Uh, uh, what we think a lot of them do is they may be moving out of a field uh, during the daytime to some cover and then coming in at nighttime. Uh, and so... A lot of what people will see is they'll put out a pyrethroid application for for brown stink bugs and not be able to find any out there during the daytime, but they'll come back the next morning after those stink bugs seem to move around at night and they'll just be finding dead stink bugs all over the ground. So, you know, that's a that's an important pest for, for growers to look out for on if they got any small corn out. And I guess that's that's probably a, a lot of our corn farmers right now. They're getting that corn just coming up. Yeah, there's there's big corn, there's small corn, there's all different sizes out there. 
another one that our counterparts in Mississippi and Louisiana both are seeing right now is is a decent number of fall armyworms out there. You know, we, we haven't heard about them a whole lot in the state yet, uh, maybe some of the southern regions of Arkansas, but that, that's something to keep an eye out if you have grass and, say, a soybean field. If you spray that grass and kill it, you might want to look at it first because it may be loaded up with fall armyworms, may need to make an application there. We expect some to hit some rice at some point in time this year. Uh, based on our work, it's going to take a lot of defoliation and big rice, you know, green green plus rice. So to really get the yield loss there, you know, we're going to, have to get over 30 to 40 percent foliation. So it's not a major concern, but we do need to keep that in mind that, that our counterparts are starting to see it. Well, we uh, we hate that we have to every year fight this battle against insect pests, but we do. The good news is you guys are out there helping folks. So. If I'm a farmer and I need to know more or I need some help, uh, how's the best way to go about getting that? Well, they can feel free to call us. Uh, my phone number is 501-517-3853. And my 870-456-8486. You've also got the extension website. You know, we post pretty regular on it. Uh, to the crops blog, and there's some old articles on there. But, uh, yeah, feel free to call anytime. And we get pictures all the time, so feel free to text us, and we can uh, we can ID any anything that you might have out there. Excellent. Could you go ahead and let's repeat those numbers one more time. Your number, Ben? It's 501-517-3853. And you, Nick? It's uh, 870-456-8486. We're very appreciative to have you guys out there helping us and uh, taking time today to visit with us and share some of this information. Thank you all very much, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again as summer progresses and new things are out there we need to know about. Thank you very much. Thank you, Keith. Yeah, we appreciate it. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with the latest on the state's largest industry.